Hey there, I'm Justin Zydar. I'm Jim Cannon, and you're listening to The Iron Age of Comics, a critical reevaluation of comic books from about 1985 to 2000. Well, it turns out January's got an extra Wednesday in it that uh, throws off the way that we schedule our regular episodes. And when this happens, we like to throw in a little bonus episode that sort of plugs the gap. And we started using these as a way to look outside the normal parameters of the podcast. So for this fifth week bonus, we're not going to talk about a comic book at all. We're going to talk about a movie, and not even a comic book movie per se, but something, I guess, like comics adjacent. We are talking about Kevin Smith's 1995 motion picture, his second feature, Mallrats. Uh, cue the Snoochie Boochies. I'm, 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 I'm queuing up, uh, some, some nineties, like skate punk, you know, and some, <laughs> some Bush, some Weezer. It's, it's... <laughs> Can you smell the nostalgia? Yes. I mean, we, speaking of nostalgia, like we had talked about Kevin Smith at some length in our episode, um, back in June of last year about his, uh, Marvel Knights Daredevil run, the uh, guardian mm-hmm. devil. And I, I think we established there that um, we were both, you know, in, in our respective days, like big Kevin Smith fans. Um, but over the years, maybe that's kind of uh, cooled. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but. No, that's that's a pretty accurate description. <laughs> cooled, yes. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't know how much we talked about Mallrats in that episode specifically, but I think like off mic or uh, actually when um, we had Cameron Kunzelman guest, like beforehand, I think, I, I know I was there sort of like, oh. Yeah, Mallrats. That's a movie I used to, I used to like, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, that is certainly my feeling as well. And in fact, I, I looked and and there is a new like Arrow DVD of the film, which has like two discs in it with all sorts of extra features and interviews with the cast and everyone involved and featurettes and all sorts of of stuff, so that you can get an encyclopedia basically. <laughs> on mall rats in and of itself so if that is your thing if that's something that makes you excited that is certainly available and i recommend you check that out me i'm afraid i'm not that guy i (laughs) i tried to watch this again for the first time in in maybe 20 years with an open mind because i thought you know i do i could be misremembering i could be mischaracterizing i i but uh but no (laughs) no Parts of it were good, <laughs> but but most of it was was not 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 too good. Yeah, so I so I you know that would that would have been my my, my guess. Um, what brings us up is that I I experienced a real Christmas miracle over the holiday season. <laughs> I, I have I have to say, so it was a it was a Friday evening. My wife and kids were all sick and they were all in in their respective beds. So I decided, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch a movie by myself, right? Like I didn't have anything specifically that I was in the mood for. I just like went through my, you know, my physical media collection, which I, I have been vindicated about, by the way, <laughs> in the mm-hmm. last uh, so often. And I was th- thinking like, okay, now is my chance to like really watch something that nobody else in the house is going to want to watch with me, right? Like this is, <laughs> this, this is just in time, right? So yeah. it came down to like a couple of very unlike movies and Mallrats, right? And it was probably Mallrats because um, it came up very briefly in our Squadron Supreme episode somehow. <laughs> and I was, it was just probably on, you know, on my mind or whatever. And so like snap yep. decision, I decided like, what the hell I want to watch mall rats. And folks, if I have ever suggested on air or off 
that my esteem for this film is in the past tense, I was mistaken or lying because I felt <laughs> I felt an enormous sense of affection and goodwill that like, it, it surprised even me about wow. this. But um, well, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I I had a good time, but obviously your reaction was was yeah. somewhat was somewhat different. So, like, how did how did Mallrats first hit you when the first time you saw it, and like, what is your history between then and now? Uh, when I forced you to rewatch it in the year, <laughs> you know, 2024, the common era. <laughs> well, you didn't force me. I could have pretended to watch it and <laughs> still said most of the same things here. But no. Um, so I I entered willingly in a free mind. I saw well, Mallrats probably for the first time on DVD in 1996. I know for sure I never saw it in the theater. But I was right around the approximate age of the characters in the film mm-hmm. and the approximate mindset as well, to be sure. And I, I loved it. I thought it really captured the, the sense of humor and general cheerful stupidity of my friends and I, plus all the comic book talk and the Stan Lee cameo is pretty awesome. And, you know, malls used to be <laughs> a thing for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I guess when I soured on Smith's oeuvre, for the most part, uh, I, I never went back even to the stuff that I liked, like Clerks or, or Mallrats or, or any of the other stuff that I, I had fond memories of. I guess I just wanted to leave those fond memories alone. <laughs> <laughs> and you ruined it, Justin. Dredging those up, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, wow, uh, I'm apparently the ship of Theseus uh, or something because, <laughs> well, I am the same Jim Cannon in theory. Everything that loved this movie when I was 21 has been replaced by something <laughs> that is not that easily impressed. Uh, I don't regret watching it. I'll, I'll let you know that. <laughs> <laughs> but I... I don't think it was a good movie, no. So this was, I mean, this was big in my friend group too at the time. Um, my, 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 my buddy Josh actually had a reproduction of Brody's shirt, you know, the one with sort of like a, a fuzzy sort of face on it, you know? And yep. um, that was that was the most jealous that I think I've ever been of another person's wardrobe, just like, because oh. <laughs> now, now I can't buy that shirt, right? So <laughs> Right, yeah, because he did it first. And if you did it, then... You'd just be copying your friend and not copying Brody. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly not okay. So yeah, people have either seen this or not seen it. And maybe that doesn't make a whole lot of of difference, but I'm going to do like the the super basic plot summary. So you have TS and Brody. They are two dudes in their twenties, their early twenties who get dumped by their girlfriends, Brandy and Renee on the same day. They go to the mall and discover that's where Brandy's disapproving father is taping a dating game style sort of game show where Brandy will be like the bachelorette, right? To be, to be auctioned off. And Renee is also at the mall with a new dude who is a jerk and who is also Ben Affleck before he was famous. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, and, and hijinks ensue, right? And sure they, they sure do. (laughs) (laughs) So before we get into like the whole mess of stuff here, there's like one, a complaint that I need to get off my chest, and it's about Jaws references in this movie. Mm-hmm. So Brody is named Brody, like Brody in Jaws. Uh, yep. T.S.'s last name is Quint, like Quint in Jaws. Uh, Brody's yep. last name is Bruce, like the 
the shark or whatever. So like, this is fair game, right? Like Kevin Smith likes Jaws. I like Jaws. I recognize the reference. But when you actually mention Jaws, the movie in the movie, right? Like, because they're talking about like, oh, yeah, we're going to go to the Universal tour when Jaws pops out of the water. Yep. I don't want to say like it broke my immersion, like in, in, <laughs> in Mallrats, but like, but it was like, you can't, you can't name everybody after the characters in the movie and then talk about like, hey, this movie that exists, which coincidentally has all of our names in it. <laughs> Maybe that's why they think it's the most romantic thing they've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> right. it's, it's like our entire lives were patterned off this movie. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. Now I've, I've got that, I got, the, got that off my chest. That is, <laughs> that, that is the only negative thing that I have to say about this entire film. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so like, so the reason that we're talking about it on, you know, what is a, what is a comic book podcast, right? Is that, um, Brody, the, you know, possibly the main character, we'll, we'll talk about that, but he's a comic book fan and he makes comic book references. And this is a movie that came out in 1995, you know, and to repeat a point from the Daredevil episode, like there were no Marvel movies when this came out, there were no X-Men movies, even Blade was a couple of years off. Um, the Marvel characters didn't really just have the same cultural reach outside of comics where, you know, on Seinfeld, like Jerry could talk about Superman and, you know, a mass sitcom audience could understand the, you know, the broad strokes of that. So like to have a character like Brody, like mentioned Wolverine or the Fantastic Four or, or whatever, like this was sort of niche stuff at the time. And then like, there was like young me, right. Watching this and like feeling seen. <laughs> and that's, mm. that's, you know, that, and that, that's only like part of a joke, right. Cause I'm, I'm partially joking when I say this is me feeling seen, but I'm also partially serious. You know, I mean, we, it was, it was a different time and, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't know a whole lot of people who read comic books. So like to see people talking about comics, it was like, oh, okay, well, p- these are my people in a, in a, you know, for, for better or worse, I guess at the, at the, at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One thing that I really like noticed here is that the specificity is what makes the jokes work, I think. Because like there's a bit where Brody is talking about all the stuff that Renee still has at his house. And one of them is Punisher War Journal number six. <laughs> like it's it's funnier to say Punisher War Journal than the Punisher just because it's like yeah. Web of Spider-Man would be funnier than Amazing Spider-Man. It's just like yeah. just slightly more obscure things like, oh, you actually know about these things, you know? Yeah. And now even that, like, we're, we're in an era where, like, the comic book movie or whatever, the superhero comic book movie is sort of maybe receding from the cultural dominance that it had. I enjoyed, like, spending time on this sort of, like, here is a bunch of, like, weird ephemera that most people don't know. And we're going to sort of sort of splash around in it. Yeah. When you pitched this, I, I made a joke that this was the first Marvel movie. <laughs> but the more I thought about it, it started to make sense. Because you, you've got a daredevil. Mm-hmm who's also a Batman, uh, as well as a Yondu um, appearing in this film, a very young, like what, like in his seventies, maybe <laughs> Stan Lee appears for an extended cameo. Like, as I explained to my wife um, and Stan seen in Captain Marvel, he's actually reading the script to Mallrats, mm-hmm. which is how I justified to her watching this film for the podcast. Um, I feel a little, um, I, I never meant to, when I said we should watch Mallrats, I never meant to drag innocent people into, <laughs> into, this, into this nonsense, but. Well, we, we like to do things together. We're weird that way. So, <laughs> um, There's also, like, within the film, there's talk of, of the X-Men, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, basically all the characters that were already licensed for films at that point, mm-hmm. but none had come out yet. 
and there's a there's obviously a prominent Batman spoof, actually a couple, but that was kind of the only superhero cinema language available at the time. And I think most importantly, however, uh, as to its relationship to the Marvel shared universe of films, is that Mallrats exists in the same universe as Clerks without being a sequel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something like a like a comic style shared universe. I mean, like the the most obvious thing is that Jay and Silent Bob return from Clerks. But like there's all sorts of like, you know, in Clerks, Dante's ex-girlfriend Julie Dwyer dies, and in Mallrats, Julie Dwyer's death is the, you know, the, the inciting incident that uh, as to why Brandy has to be on the game show. Yeah, Brody is implied to be Randall's cousin because they both have a cousin Walter theoretically. Um you got Gil Hicks, suitor number three, is presumably of some relation to to Dante. There's lots more. Like most of these things would, you know, are honestly a little more than Easter eggs. Like you could have just used different names and it wouldn't have, you know, it wouldn't be story critical or anything. Yeah. But by, you know, the time that Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back came out, like it was about this um they call it the the viewist universe, right? It was about yeah. these connections and all the, the in jokes that you refer you know you recognize from two movies ago or whatever. And coincidentally, I think we I think we both said that, you know, this is us like independently of even knowing each other at the time, that like that was the movie where you and I sort of sort of tapped out there. Yeah. So uh mentioned Stan Lee earlier, like Stan Lee's function in this is sort of like Wolfman Jack in American Graffiti, like the the nineties version of that, right? Like here is this pop culture icon that I am I, the, the, you know, the Brody, I guess I'm, I'm not going to say I, right. But Bro- Brody yeah. is, is soliciting um, advice from it treats him like he's the sole creator of the Marvel characters. You know, and I, I'm going to, I'm going to pause here for the, for booze from the, from the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, that's, that's not, un- you know, wasn't unusual for its time. It's, you know, probably not unusual now. It's just that there's a little more awareness of Kirby and Ditko and, and all them. But, you know, at, on the other hand, like, none of what he actually says in the movie is true anyway. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Cause he, he gives this big monologue about how the characters that he, that he created, I'm going to put created in quotes in air quotes, um, that they were all like vehicles to work through his, you know, big heartbreak and emotional loss that he was feeling. And, and I, an intellectual am chuckling because he was married to the same woman since 1947. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, I knew this when I first saw the movie and like Brody should know this too. Right. Yeah, well, you know, Brody would also have known to mention Jack or Steve, but you, you don't intentionally try to make things awkward on set with your biggest star. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the real world thing. In the logic of the movie, I just think that um, Brody is that that fake comic book fan that we've been hearing about. <laughs> we need to we, we need we need to gatekeep him out of the fandom. I think that's <laughs> what I think. We're, Taken away from that. But yeah, so on that note, like here's a here's an important viewisk universe canon question. Because I know I know how important headcanon is to you. Oh, uh, <laughs> so like so this whole this whole story about like, oh yeah, like Doctor Doom is a metaphor for my, you know, my my feelings about this this breakup. Yeah. You know, keeping in mind that like the Stanley in a movie is going to be a fictionalized version of Stanley. Yeah. Is all that stuff true for the fictional version of Stanley from the movie? Or is the fictional version of Stan Lee also just making stuff up to to get through to to Brody? I do you think because it's Stan Lee playing Stan Lee. I think he's lying <laughs> through his teeth. Like if he had somebody else playing Stan Lee, 
maybe. But because it is the Stan Lee, <laughs> I think he's he's lying. He even says like he used the Vulture's soliloquy from like Amazing Spider-Man number sixty-three or or whatever. I I think the bigger question, honestly, is how did T.S. get Stan Lee to take time out of his busy day signing comics at the local comic store to offer words of inspiration to this idiot man child <laughs> like why would why, what did he do it's to get it's, stan to do that to put up with brody for more than five minutes <laughs> just no i know i know it's it, yeah it's yeah, it's, it's, a, it's supposed to be you know lovable uncle stan always has a has a moment for his for his diehard fans that don't actually know the the, <laughs> the intricacies of, of his life story but right yeah so let's um Let's talk about the merits of the thing as a, as a film, right? Because that's this this is this is your your sticking point, right? Is that it's, <laughs> it's, it's is that it's perhaps not a good movie by <laughs> by any objective metric. Whatever arcing <laughs> so this, I mean, this is a movie that, like, you know, this this got like terrible reviews, right? Yeah. In its in its time, um, Clerks, you know, uh, Smith's first movie was considered pretty cutting edge for the time. You know, it was it tapped into this sort of you know, the Gen X zeitgeist when people really cared about tapping into the Gen X zeitgeist and <laughs> it was shot in a very striking way. It had, you know, more blunt dialogue than, you know, you could see in a mainstream film. It was really seen as like, this isn't, you know, like at the time it was like, this is an exciting new voice, right? Kevin Smith mm-hmm. and Mallrats was received as not up to that um, potential that was, that was seen. So here is a, a quote that I dug up from Roger Ebert. Um, he says, quote, it's sad really to see the iconoclastic characters of Clerks trapped inside such a conventional assembly of cliches. Clerks spoke with the sure, clear voice of an original filmmaker. In Mallrats, the voice is muffled, and we sense instead advice from the tired, the establishment, the timid, and other familiar Hollywood executive types. End quote. So, um, like, not to, not to, like, disagree with Roger Ebert on the subject of film, right? Because, you know, but like, is that giving clerks too much credit, you know, in a, in a way? Maybe. I don't, I don't know. Like, I haven't seen clerks in even longer than I've seen Mallrats, I think. But, you know, just based on the guerrilla filming style and the earnest unprofessionalism of the whole thing, it was at the very least an honest piece of work that came directly from Smith. I mean, like he made that in his off hours. He financed it by selling his own comic book collection. I mean, it was in mm-hmm. black and white, not, not out of any artistic decision, but because those were the, the cameras he could afford. Right. So for good or ill, that is a hundred percent Kevin Smith's artistic vision there on the screen. And that, that is worthwhile. Whether you agree with, what those characters are saying or what the film says or, or not like that. That's, that's pretty interesting. And and that's how he made his splash and how he got the money to do mall rats. But I think the criticism of mall rats is, um, trenchant <laughs> <laughs> and perhaps justified from the, um, uh, expert eye of, of senior Eber. Um, because <laughs> I think had Smith the means in the power, I, I don't think he would have shot 
small rats in Minnesota, for example. Like, there's obviously, on on some level, people making decisions for him, and mm-hmm. because this was his sophomore effort, and because he didn't know the business as well then as he does now, I think he probably was kind of pushed around a little bit on mall rats, but yeah, to, to that effect. So, um, when universal or, or, you know, came up to Smith and was like, we want to be in the, you know, we want to be in the Kevin Smith business. Right. Yeah. So this, this is what Kevin Smith always says. Like, this is what they, this is what they asked for is that they asked for a smart porkies, right? Like the, the movie porkies and like sort of a, a more, a hipper, you know, a, a Gen Xer version yeah. of, of porkies. And I do feel like, you know, I mean, Malrats is, Malrats is shallow, right? I mean, I'm, yeah. I don't think even, I don't even think that's, that's a complaint. I think that's just what it, what it is. I think that it fulfills the brief of like smart porkies there, 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 there you go. Well, I guess, I mean, that assumes that such a thing could possibly exist, but. Or should, as, but. As, I mean. <laughs> or should, yeah. But I mean, as, as far as that goes, it, yeah, I could, I could see that. Sure. I mean, that's, I mean, and so I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm thinking about like just how clerks gets its, it's sort of cachet from just like, it seems real. Right. And like looking at it, clerks is pretty cartoony, you know, for, for as much as it had this sort of like, you know, aspirations to the sort of like verite style, like it's full of sketches, you know? Yes, that is true. There's, yeah, there's like the, the, the terrible video customers, <laughs> right? <laughs> the big sign behind them. Where's the thing that I'm looking for? You know, that's that that is very cartoony. Mm-hmm. I think Mallrats is much much more cartoony, <laughs> but that might be because he had an actual budget. <laughs> yeah, I I, I think it, I think it's I mean I think that's sort of what the critics were sort of responding to is that it seemed like oh this is like an interesting, interesting style and like a, a sort of combination of things and then it's just like well if. It wasn't a, like you said, it was, it wasn't like a conscious decision. Like I'm going to shoot in black and white because of this artistic factor. I'm going to shoot in one location because that is my vision. It's like, well, it's, this is what I can do with, you know, $27,000 or whatever, whatever it actually was. And it's just like, oh, this is what he would do with a couple million. Right. Yep. So I, I, so I was just talking about like this, not being a very um, deep movie. I, I actually, this is, this is like a totally new thought that I had the other day this is brand new <laughs> i want to I I run this by you actually okay is mall rats a shakespearean comedy that silence says yes i think <laughs> <laughs> no that, that silence is me registering those words in that order okay um, here, here's here, here's 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 i got i have a i have a list of things that i've, I've written down okay you got the lovers yeah have you got two I'm, lovers, right? They have as, to... No, I, as as you're as you're setting this up, <laughs> my my brain is ticking it off. I, I'm I'm coming to that conclusion actually. <laughs> they got they got to overcome you know obstacles to be together, right? Yeah, it, it, it concludes in like happy endings for both of the couples, and including an actual marriage, right? For yep. for TS and Brandy, you've got a couple of, of goofy idiots in the middle yeah, doing their the clowns, goofy idiot yeah. things, yeah. Yeah, you got yeah clowns and Jalen Silent Bob. You got um, one of the male leads is Ernest, you know, and sort of um, expresses his feelings. One of them talks a big game, but is you know sort of hiding his you know hiding his feelings, pretending not to care about love. Um, and th- and like the ending, right? So the ending of Mallrats. Spoilers for all the people who haven't seen Mallrats yet is that they sneak onto this dating game show, and it resolves the romantic plot by wooing the beloved under a false name without her knowing that it's him at first. Like that, you know, if, if William Shakespeare had access to dating game shows, 
he would have put that as a plot <laughs> in one of the things of like, oh, it's more, I, romantic I, subject. All right, there's where you lose, you lose me. <laughs> <laughs> no, this, this is this is actually, I am I am a hundred percent. Yeah, no, I, I it took me a second, but I I yeah, I that's a that's a great theory. So um, so so worthy of worthy of study in I think I think in, you in the annals of literature. I'm looking forward to your dissertation. Um, <laughs> I want you to back that up with sources and research. So, but till then, it's just a theory. It's just an idea. I did actually <laughs> Google Mallrats and Shakespeare just to see if anybody had beaten me to this, and I think this is I think this is original research. <laughs> in the field so <laughs> wow you heard it here anyway. first folks yeah so anyway um back to the back to the film as it exists and not as the film as it exists in my head <laughs> <laughs> even yes. though i'm really proud of this theory and i'm no no i broadcast I mean, it to, to people but. i'm ch- i'm chuckling and everything but i sincerely think that is a an incredible bit of insight i do think that's this is one of the most like real or authentic nineties movies, despite that it's like a cartoon, you know, a mm-hmm. live action cartoon in terms of like, if you are, you know, if you're talking to people about like, what are the nineties movies, right? Like what are the nineties movies that you can watch and you know, wear your hypercolor t-shirt or whatever. <laughs> I think this is one <laughs> of them, extreme. right? <laughs> right. Cause like, you know, if you, people will often cite like clueless or something. Right. And that's, that wasn't like what the nineties were like in real life or like for most people. I mean, even yeah. the, even in the logic of the movie, that's for, you know, a certain upper class, you know, California set. Like this is not a glamorous movie. This is what people were actually wearing in the nineties. Like what, what TS wears, you know, with that sort of like long sleeve shirt and the flannel around his waist. Yeah. I, I, was I my, wore that. My, my outfit for <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> most of that decade. <laughs> you, me and thousands and thousands and thousands of other white kids. Right. That's, that's, <laughs> That was the uniform. Yeah. This is what people dressed like. This is, you know, and this, it's not even like a glamorous mall. You know, this isn't like the coolest mall that you could never actually see in real life. And we had to build it for this. This is just a a mall in Minnesota. Yeah. I I think the mall in Eden Prairie where they they filmed the movie was already dying. Even in the mid nineties, (laughs) long before all the rest of the mall started to die. Like the, the filmmakers had to create a bunch of stores to fill in the backgrounds because they had there were a lot of empty storefronts. So that's how you get mm-hmm. um, rug munchers and buy me toys and such. I, I don't think that's just to avoid having to to pay uh, copyrights and stuff. I think mm-hmm. that was like legitimately <laughs> the mall was not doing <laughs> well. Right. I know the rug munchers is the joke that I'm supposed to laugh at, but Buy Me Toys is a very funny name for a store. store yeah, that's, what I, that's what I always laugh at when I, when I see the movie. Um, let's talk about performances. So, like, you got Brody and TS. It's uh, Jeremy London and Jason Lee. Yep. I always forget if it's Jason or Jeremy London. I'm sorry, London brothers. Yep. Um, so, which, 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 which of Brody or TS do you think is, like, the main character or the protagonist or the leader or whatever you want to call it of Mallrats? I think ostensibly TS is the lead and Brody is the support character, but London really does not have the charisma to yeah. pull off the lead position. So Jason Lee kind of takes over the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People keep calling Brody his psychic or whatever. I'm like, yeah. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure that's true. <laughs> I think that's, yeah, I, I think, I think script wise, 
in mm. film wise that is the point like like ts is the one who gets engaged at the end and we see him get married like he's the one who quote unquote you know wins or changes or goes through a serious arc i mean right. as brody does to some extent particularly after the, the pep talk from stan the man but <laughs> um i think ts is meant to be the main character yeah and i and i think it doesn't work. <laughs> no. And I think that's why we have, we're having this discussion in the first place. <laughs> right, right. Because Jason Lee is so much more dynamic and, and funny and interesting. Um, yeah. I will say that um, if you look at who's top build on, you know, in the movie, uh, it's Shannon Doherty. Cause she's, yeah. she's the biggest name in 1995 off of uh, 90210. Yep. Um, my the old VHS that I had of this, um, and it had her like really prominent, like on the cover. It's like you know with a medium shot of her, the entire left side of the thing, and then there's like sort of tiny is a, a little TS and a little Brody like arguing or whatever. Yeah, but it seems like it seems like the movie about her, and it's it's really not because she no. is she she is one of the girlfriends in the. <laughs> In the scheme of the movie, she's a trophy to be won. Yeah, right. I, you know, I heard she was allowed to keep all the clothes she wears in the movie, which is why <laughs> she's dressed in like six different outfits through the course of this one day at the mall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that, that's that's that sounds like definitely some like early IMDb lore that I had read at some point, and um. I think I actually heard that from Smith <laughs> at one of those events that I went to. Yeah. I feel like Shannon Doherty could have probably just bought six outfits. But, but yeah, it's just one of those perks. Cause I don't, I don't know how much, <laughs> how much of those millions of dollars that Smith was paid to make this actually went to any of the actors. <laughs> so that's probably, no matter how, what billing they got. Right. Probably true. So like you, like you were saying about Jeremy London, he just can't get the the Kevin Smith dialogue out. Kevin Smith has, you know, as we, we've said in the Daredevil episode, like he writes a very affected kind of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Not like people talk, you know, who who knows what naturalistic dialogue is, right? That's different for everybody, but it is a very like constructed, um, some might say Shakespearean <laughs> <laughs> mode, of, mode of dialogue. They're not an iambic pentameter, man. Come on. Some, no, but you know, I mean, it's it's very like Kevin Smith is a guy who likes language. Yes, and so he writes his characters like that, and just like he's not pulling it off. And you know, and Ben Affleck would have the same problem in Chasing Amy, where he has these things that he's supposed to say, and like it, it sounds so stilted because I think he's trying to do it in a in a naturalistic way, and just it's not. He's not pulling it off because like the, the one that always sticks out for me in Mallrats is where Jeremy London goes, it looks like a stage is being erected. Yeah, there's a scene where T.S. is trying to stop Brody from instigating a, a fight in the line at the comic book shop. And T.S. says something about He-Man comic book guys that is, is actually painful <laughs> to listen to. <laughs> it's just, uh, there's a lot of words and uh, and they don't mean anything. <laughs> they just he can't get them out in any kind of a realistic way, and it's just uh, I don't. And again, I'm I'm not trying to pick on Mr. London. <laughs> no, I, I don't think I don't think it's his fault. I think no, that's... I think it's 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 the writing, unfortunately, in that scene. I, I think what's what's happening is that like he 
you know, I'm not an actor, right? But I imagine one is an actor and one gets a script and it has this like di- this dialogue that you can't say in real life. And his response to it is to just go, well, if I just say it sort of quickly and like matter of factly, then it will, that's as close as I can make it seem to something that a human person would say. Right. And so he says stuff like maybe it looks like a stage is being erected. Uh, how does that junior Masters and Johnson know about whatever. Right. And it just sort of, he just sort of like blurts it out. Yeah. Whereas, <laughs> right. Uh, and just like, like that's a, re- you know, that's a, that's a reference that he has at the top of his head. Right. Whereas yep. Jason Lee, he has this knack and it's, it's in here and it's in chasing Amy as well to have this non-naturalistic something dialogue. And he makes it sound naturalistic by making it, by playing up how affected it is. Like yeah. He delivers every line like, I being a smart ass and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to like use unusual constructions on purpose to seem like smarter or clever or funnier or, or whatever. And it makes sense that like, oh yeah, this is the guy who talks like that. Like this is the guy you know who shows up and he talks about, you know, he, he would say like, oh, it looks like a stage is being erected. And it's like, this is how he chooses to express himself. Yeah. And he also, his, his other trick is to just raise the volume by somehow projecting more. He, he can get this goofy unnaturalistic dialogue to sound like, you know, he's already doing a voice. So, right. Yeah. Um, he's, I mean, this is, this is like his, his first major role in a movie. I think he'd had like a, a small bit part in some indie film earlier, but like he's really charismatic Yeah. in this, you know, it's, 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 it's a really impressive, like big debut performance because like you're, like you're saying, like he is maybe supposed to be the sidekick. He's not the top build person, but he is basically like the main attraction of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of takes over and, and it's weird too, because Brody is an, absolutely awful human being (laughs) but the way that jason lee plays him he he actually pulls off making him kind of likable and i Mm -hmm. i have to admit most of my actual laughs were brody related like when when um gwen knocks ts down (laughs) and brody kicks him (laughs) this is you know like that's what you get for messing with me like that Uh, that, that's funny (laughs) yeah it's awful but it's funny (laughs) And again, he says it at really high volume. <laughs> <laughs> That's the secret. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, but like, even he can't say the holy and and holy, again, let's say, crap. The way Smith <laughs> wants it said and make it sound like something a human would actually say, like, it's really affected. Everyone says it or pronounces it the way, like, Roy Thomas or Len Wein would write it, like, in, <laughs> in capital H, capital O dash capital l capital e capital e holy it just sounds weird when someone says it rather than just saying holy crap they're like holy crap like like uh it's just see i think that works i think that's i think that's again like he's not a person who just naturally says holy crap he's a person who like i'm gonna say i'm i'm brody i'm always on yeah i'm gonna make everybody look at me i'm gonna say Holy crap. Well, he's not the only one who says it that way, though. Everyone does. Well, well, everybody in a Kevin Smith movie has a certain uh, theatrical flair for dialogue. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I could could see that being being a note of, you know. Yeah. Instead of saying holy, could you say say holy? (laughs) Right. Do it it for me, please. (laughs) Let's take one take. One take. We'll (laughs) we'll do it the way you want to do it. Um, I will say that, like, looking at this 
almost 30 years later, right? Uh, my feeling is that Jason Mewes is actually really impressive in this. You know, like a lot of this movie is actually carried by an untrained actor. And, you know, like and you can say that he's just playing a, himself or a version of himself, but like not everybody can do that. And he does. Yeah, he's he's not bad. He He's surprisingly professional given, you know, what you're led to believe just by the character he plays about mm-hmm. him as a person. Like I, I remember on Dogma when Smith warned Muse that he would be working with Alan Rickman, who's like a, you know, like a for real kind of actor. <laughs> Muse didn't just memorize his own lines, but the entire script. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like memorized it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, I mean, he cer- certainly seems to be like a person who like, if you tell him to take something seriously, he's, he's yeah. there. And like, I, you know, I, he hits everything, you know, I'm, 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 I was, I've really found myself going, boy, this James Silent Bob thing really has, <laughs> really has something going for it. I wonder, I wonder if they should make at least two movies about just those characters. <laughs> uh, eh, well, <laughs> Maybe. the thing about that, that I remember is... that, I, that I saw, that I saw one of those movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So d- d- is there no love for our, um, Ben Affleck? Like he's not given a, a whole lot to do here. Uh, he's basically just another version of the the bully he played in Days and Confused. But this movie kind of indirectly led to him becoming Daredevil, right? I think that there was a a trade paperback of Guardian Double, the the one that Kevin Smith wrote, and I think that it was written by Ben Affleck, and he was like, "Yeah, he you know we met and he showed me this comic book, and I thought it was cool." So. This this friendship with Smith led to him being the lead, and and they met on Mallrats. They became friends. That led him to him getting into chasing Amy, which was actually a, a big role for him. And then he started making other movies. But I think there is always that connection with with Smith and the character. And, and you know, like I noticed, Joe Casada gets a shout out in the closing credits too. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. like all the artists who drew the the faux comic covers for the opening credits did but i guess casada kind of stands out just for the being the high muckety muck at marvel that he is now yeah i had blinked on this actually when we did the daredevil episode but you know we were talking about like oh yeah like you know casada and palmiati and smith like knew each other ahead of time and like this is probably the origin of that like wow how they got were able to get smith for marvel knights yeah well yeah probably i mean a pre-existing relationship because he got Casada and Pamiati to do a cover for his movie, so then they call him up when the Marvel Knights thing happens. Like, like that sounds like a plausible chain of events to me. Mm-hmm. And that, by the way, we should just mention like that. You know, as as comic book fans, like that was a really cool opening sequence where they have like you know characters from the movie and they're drawn by like real comic book artists, right? Which movies don't always do. If yeah, you, if you have the prop department to come up with comics, they'll do it, and it won't look like a comic. That anybody's ever read since you know 1963 or whatever, and they're they're parodies of of existing comics too. So, mm-hmm. but I mean, like they, they're they're done by you know it's they got what there's J. Scott Campbell in there, there's Jay Lee, there's uh, Brian Stelfreeze has a cover like there. Yeah, it's it's yeah. like you know a lot of a lot of the hot people at, at the uh, time. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure that was I don't know that it was a huge paycheck, but I'm sure that was a nice a nice thing for everybody involved there. Having having a little bit of Hollywood money behind your your art gig, yeah. Um, I own the C- the uh, soundtrack to this on CD. Uh huh. And um, I just want to say for the for the record, 
because um, my brother might actually be listening to this and he cares <laughs> about this. Um, the best Weezer song is Suzanne, the, the song that plays at the end of this movie. I have I have feelings about this. Okay. I, I don't... Um... <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how to react to that statement. You don't have you, you don't have closely held to your heart Weezer opinions. I don't need to know why. I'm an anomaly in uh in Gen X for for that um the uh, I think the Buddy Holly song was a big deal in in college, but um they never they never did anything for me, I got to say. Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Rosanna Dana. Um, that, that's all. That's all the podcast for today. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, there are. I mean, I mean, to get back to the film itself, there are other scattered bits that I kind of, <laughs> and to give it kind of a fair shake, I, I did like bits and pieces, like the the blueprints that Jay and Silent Bob have for their their nefarious plans. Those are straight <laughs> out of a specific Tom and Jerry short that I loved as a kid. Uh, where where Tom draws up these these blueprints for trying to capture Jerry and 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 that hi you want to talk about hijinks, um, <laughs> and there's some good physical comedy in Mallrats, particularly that that aforementioned Batman goof, and that that mm-hmm. little kid who sends his truck flying out to trip up Silent Bob and send him careening like Looney Tune style into a big crash. It's good stuff. Uh, I also liked William. Or Willem, excuse me, and the, the magic eye picture. That whole thing is very silly. It involves a a, a line that I, I still quote actually to this very day. You know, the, a schooner is a sailboat. I I still <laughs> say that sometimes. Um, usually around you know schooners. Uh, but uh, likewise, I I've always liked the line from the game show producer, who's who's played by the film's actual producer Scott Mosier, which goes. You called down the thunder. Well, now you've got. It. I can't even say it without laughing because it's just so silly. Um, and I think uh, Joey Lauren Adams mostly comes through unscathed as a, as a sort of alternate version of the of the character she ended up playing and chasing Amy. Yeah, I mean it is. I mean that's kind of a thankless role, right? But yeah. She does do the like the the again the affected Smith dialogue. Like she sells it as someone who's like. I'm a person who chooses to talk like this. Yeah. Right. And that sort of makes it sound right. Um, it is funny that she has this like whole speech to when she meets Brandy, who, you know, she, she's broken up with TS and she gives Brandy this whole speech about like, you know, TS is a really great guy. And, you know, if I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I guess in some way, I'm sorry that things didn't work out between us or something. And <sighs> I guess you have to take her at her word because, like, we ne- we never see any any positive thing that TS does actually in the movie, right? Yeah, like um, Gwen is showing by telling, like that's the thing. <laughs> so yeah, you know, we talk about how odd it is that we never actually see TS and Brandy or Renee and Brody as functioning couples. Like we're we're just kind of supposed to be on the boys' sides, even though they they're clearly terrible partners. Brandy and TS have a cycle of breaking up and making up and and that's that's not really a recipe for a long lasting relationship no matter how romantic the, the Jaws um, exhibit at, at Universal Studios Florida might be <laughs> and Brody is just a, a nightmare of, of narcissism and codependence <laughs> like, he's, like he's terrifying 
And I guess, as you said, Mallrats is just an attempt at making a, a quote-unquote smart porky. It's just something to make the kids go to the pictures on a Friday or Saturday night. But I don't think that means necessarily that these things have to be bad. Mm-hmm. But I guess I also didn't see all those red flags when I was in my 20s watching this. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's it's entirely possible that Smith & Company may not have realized how poorly they were representing their main characters at the time either. And I guess I just, I I have to go back to my episode zero mantra, like in a truly progressive society, everything ages poorly. And ultimately I think, um, Mallrats has not aged all that well. Hmm. I think, I think you're right. That is a snapshot of the 1990s. It is very, it's, but I, I think, it's a not a very flattering portrait. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, and I, 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 I mean, I, I feel like, like the fundamental message, like of almost all media, in the nineteen nineties, whether that's movies, whether that's TV, whether that's anything, is just that like, romantic relationships are terrible. <laughs> but you, but you have to be in one, or or you're, you know, or you're going to be, you're going to die alone, or you're going to be a loser, or or something, yeah. right? It's going to be, something like, hey, fellas. You need to get yourself a girlfriend, but you're probably not going to like her. She's going <laughs> to nag you and turn you into something else. Yeah. I mean, Clerks, which is the, you know, the, the one that critics said was the good one, you know, the end message of that is that like, you know, it was Silent Bob, his, his words of wisdom is that like, oh, she seems cool because she made you lasagna. Most girls just cheat on you. I was like, is that like, that's this, this, this is, this is the, the future that was, that was set before yeah. me. <laughs> this, yeah. This yeah. is how it's going to be, right? Yeah. Well, write what you know, I guess. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I mean, I, this is full of like funny moments. And like, I think like when I, when I'm watching this, right, I'm like, that's enough for me. At the, you know, it's, if it, if it was trying to do more, I think the, like, the fact that the, the plot is so perfunctory just sort of tells me like, I don't, don't really need to get, you know, I don't need to get too invested in yeah. thinking that, that this is a thing. So like, I'm, I'm just here for, I was there for the jokes. Um, I love the snapshot of here is when knowing about Wolverine was a weird thing to know about. And you had to, <laughs> you had to explain to your friend that like, yeah, he's got like, he's got these like three claws and they, they come out of his hand and you know, in five years from now, there'll be a very tall Australian man, very <laughs> handsome. And he'll play this guy, but he's actually like really short and he's, he's kind of weird. So yeah, I, I, no, I, 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 I can't, I can't even find it in my heart to be, you know, embarrassed by this or, you know, pick it apart. I'm like, you know what? Mall rats. I'm going to, you know, I actually thought like, you know, is this like when I start culling this DVD from my, from my shelf or whatever, I'm like, no, I, I used to love mall rats. <laughs> I'm gonna go bat for it. I've I still got that CD actually kicking around. Yeah, in my car somewhere. So well, the CD that you have you have you have no interest in talking no, about whatsoever. That's, that's I never cool. listened to it. I, that's, uh, that's cool. And um, <laughs> I had to watch uh, Mallrats via streaming because I, I had gotten rid of my my DVD at some point <laughs> twenty years ago. <laughs> like I said, I think uh, no, not quite twenty. More like fifteen. Yes. I think that's when I called a lot of um, a lot of ephemera <laughs> that I was no longer interested in. Um, afraid so. Don't regret it. <laughs> well, 
I think we'll we'll put this down to a split decision. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> on, on yeah, on the future of Mallrats, um, I say go out and see it today. <laughs> Study it in your in your uh, Shakespearean comedy. Um, you know, when you're when you're teaching Shakespeare to high school kids, right? You really want to get them something that's uh, make it connect and make it feel like cool and now. Uh, I think put in a, put in a DVD from 1995 that isn't uh, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, <laughs> and this will this will be the way in. I think. And, and prepare them for the possibility of shock and damage. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think that's I think that's where we end it. Ah. Uh, I was, gonna, I was just gonna say I should have raised my voice a little bit on that because that wasn't a good reading. <laughs> it was not, not a good reading. That's what, you know. That's okay. Not everybody has a good reading in this movie, so I think <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's par for the course. I will. I, I'm not gonna do the. I'm not gonna do the whole outro really loud. I could, but I yeah. Um, right. <laughs> just, I, I, I that, that that that's just gonna be annoying for everybody. They have to turn down their their iPhone to. You get quieter. I'll talk at a reasonable volume and let everybody know out there that um, next week we're going to be back to talking about uh, actual comic books. February, we're going to take kind of a look at some indie books. Um, we're going to have Bone first up, followed by Ghost World. Um, I realize those are two very unlike comic books from each other, but, you know, indie comics is a big tent. Well, they're right? both black and white. <laughs> right and that's 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 all that that's all that i'm looking at here right that's all um but yeah <laughs> <You're the> same, <laughs> basically <laughs> one one and same the exact same uh, people that you would give bone uh give them ghost world uh all the kids who love bone i'm sure that that the next thing that you should read is some daniel Cloud. <laughs> um that's another um one of your trademark uh insightful comments justin that you said in mock <laughs> sincerity but i'm are actually that is actual sincere, Eddie. I'm 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 not I'm not I'm not saying that I don't also talk in affected Kevin Smith style dialogue, but I <laughs> where did I learn it from? Right, right, <laughs> right. What you know, <laughs> and what I know is <laughs> sarcasm and depression. So that's <laughs> <laughs> look forward to that, kids. Uh, in the meantime, you can support the podcast by following or subscribing us on your podcasting app of choice. If you rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, we will read five-star reviews out on the air. You can follow us on social media, where the handle is at Iron Age of Comics. Thank you for listening, and for the Iron Age of Comics, I have been Justin Zyduck. I have been Jim Cannon. Good night. Good night.